And now I want to turn to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verse number 1, beginning. Then he spake a parable to them, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Say, pray and don't become discouraged when you pray. Tell somebody, pray and don't become discouraged when you pray. And Jesus said, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard a man. Now, this begins by saying it's a parable. Some parables are stories that are made up. Other parables are stories from experiences and events in life. Many Bible scholars believe that this is an actual event that occurred. They actually believe that the judge that did not fear God nor man might have even have been Pilate. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. Turn to your neighbor and say, did you know you have an adversary? Would you do that? Now, don't be surprised if they look at you and say, what? Only one? I thought I had more than that. (laughs) Amen. If if I've only got one, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) No, you have an adversary. I'm talking about the one Jesus described, the enemy. And the judge would not respond to this widow for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them this story about a little widow who had no status or position in society no possessions nothing to speak for her on behalf of her need or cause a judge to look her way I mean what could he gain from helping her nothing she was a waste of his time he thought he was an unjust man the Bible's already made that clear but she kept on coming even when he chose and tried to ignore her until finally he made the statement I'm going to give her what she wants because I'm tired of going to court every morning and there she is sitting on the front row and many people make the mistake of conflating the identity of this unjust judge with the identity and persona persona of God. They think, well, he's telling us this parable because God has to be persuaded like this unjust judge did. That is not the point. Because if you will look, he says, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? The unjust judge was persuaded And what Jesus is saying is if the unjust judge can be persuaded, you better know a God who loves you can too. Amen. And then he went on to say this. I tell you that he will avenge them. Everybody say speedily. Would you do that? Lord, I felt the Holy Spirit hit me just then. Somebody's got a speedy answer on the way. Amen. I feel the spirit of God in this house. Amen. And he said, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find, will he really find faith on the earth? First Thessalonians 5, 17. 
pray without ceasing. Only three words. Pray without ceasing. As I mentioned, I'm in a new series on experiencing the life-changing power of prayer. And last Sunday, I spoke the power of prayer to change your season. Spoke about the power that prayer can have to change your season. Today, I want to talk about the power of prayer to change your situation. Your season is one thing. Your situation is another. Your circumstance is another. Father, I pray that you will speak to us today. And in that wonderful and marvelous way that you have, cause your word to come alive to us. Set our hearts on fire for God. Let your word burn within us. Ever since the fall of Adam, man has struggled to make his way because we've lost so many things. The authority that we had before sin entered the world. The relationship with God, the ability to hear God, the walk with you, Lord. You came as the second Adam to give your life as a payment for our sins and ransom us from the enemy and to restore what Adam had lost. And as we turn our hearts and lives over to you, we begin the process of the restoration of who we were meant to be. Your word reveals to us all of those principles and things that Adam once knew, but that man forgot. Help us to discover them and find them today. Make your word be alive to us in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. The power of prayer to change your situation. Prayer is powerful beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. That's because prayer couples the inability of man with the unlimited ability of God. Prayer is an acknowledgement that man is limited in power while God is unlimited in power. Prayer works. Little Johnny was a very bright five-year-old, and he told his dad he'd like to have a baby brother. And along with his request, he also volunteered to do whatever he could to help. His dad was a very bright 35-year-old who saw in this a teaching opportunity to teach little Johnny about the power of prayer. And so his dad told him, I tell you what, Johnny, if you will pray every day for two months for a baby brother, I guarantee that God will give you one. Johnny responded eagerly to his dad's challenge and went to his bedroom early that night to start praying for a baby brother. What little Johnny didn't know was that his mom was already seven months pregnant and the sonogram had revealed he had a baby brother on the way in two months. He just thought mom had gained a little weight. So he prayed every night for a whole month, but after some time, he began to get skeptical. He checked around the neighborhood and talked to his friends and the neighbor's kids and found out that what he thought was going to happen had never occurred in the history of the neighborhood. Nobody had ever prayed and got a baby brother two months later. And so he decided he would quit praying. After another month, Johnny's mother went to the hospital. And when she came home, Johnny's parents called him into the bedroom. He cautiously walked into the room, not expecting to find anything. And there was a little bundle lying right next to his mother. And his dad pulled the blanket back. And there was not one baby brother, but two. 
his mother had delivered twins. Johnny's dad looked down at him and said, now aren't you glad you prayed? And Johnny hesitated for a moment, then looked up at his dad and said, yes, but aren't you glad I quit when I did? (laughs) Prayer works. It really does. When you are too weak to stand on your own, prayer teaches us that before a child of God can stand on his feet, he must first kneel on his knees. When you struggle to do the will of God, prayer bends you to God's design for your life. It doesn't bend God, it bends you. Prayer doesn't prepare God to do your will, it prepares you to do God's will. When your resources are strapped and you face the giants of life that would stand between you and your destiny, prayer gives you power in the spirit realm to fail those giants and stack them up like cordwood. Prayer is a powerful weapon that God has given us that we may wage war in the heavenlies. Some people don't view that prayer that way. They think of prayer more as a first aid kit. For them, prayer is an act of desperation. It is like the sign for a fire extinguisher used only in emergency. And because of that, they don't pray regularly. They just wait until things fall apart. And trust me, in this world, the second law of thermodynamics attends that everything will move in the direction of entropy, guarantees that things do fall apart. Lives fall apart. Health falls apart. Finances can fall apart. As I've often said, we live in a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord, and we see the results of that because we are a fallen people until we get redeemed again. Amen. Till we surrender our hearts to God. And so prayer should not be used as as the lever on the side of the wall that you pull in case there's a fire to let everyone know there's an emergency. Prayer is what you do to stay out of trouble. It certainly should be utilized if you get in trouble. But someone one time said, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Amen. The truth is, is that prayer is an adventure. You can spend a lifetime praying and constantly be astonished with the amazing things that God can show you when you pray. You really can. I'm speaking from experience. Every day is a delightful day of discovery as God opens and reveals his word to you and teaches you things that are in his word. One of the things that I've learned, and I've not read anything about this, I've written a book about it because I feel like it was a revelation God gave me is there are at least 12 types of prayer. And there are seven devotional prayers, for example. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Devotional prayers, you might wonder what they are. They affect your personal relationship with God. That is, it's between you and God. No devotional prayers, you won't have a relationship with God. But to be able to develop a devotional relationship with God, you need to understand that there are different prayers that fall into that particular category. First of all, there are prayers of thanksgiving. Psalms 104 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates. That, of course, refers to the Old Testament tabernacle and also the temple. And when you were outside and you needed to get a hold of the God on the inside, the way you entered into the gates was through thanksgiving. 
Most of us have a tendency not to focus on what good is going on in our lives, but rather on the pain we feel at the moment because of a problem in our lives. And so we usually don't come to God in thanksgiving. We usually come presenting with a problem. But God said, if you want to get into my gates and you don't want to stand outside and have to holler at me on the inside and raise your voice and shout, if you want to get close to where I'm at, I'm telling you what to do. You thank me for the good things I've already done. I wonder, is there anybody in the house that's got something to thank God for? Has God been good to anybody who is here? Has God blessed anybody? Has God helped anybody? Has God ever been there when no one else was there? Did God ever come to your assistance when mama couldn't help you? And daddy couldn't help you. And the attorney or the doctor couldn't help you. Oh, we ought to give God a praise break right now. Somebody ought to thank God for some good things that he has done in their lives. Has he ever made a way when there wasn't a way? Then you've got a reason to thank him. And then number two, there are laudatory prayers. Laudatory prayers simply mean prayers of praise. Psalms 104 says you, and and sorry, 100 in verse 4 says you enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And then the next step is into his courts with praise. So you have the gates here, then you have the outer court here of the tabernacle of the temple. You move in a progression from being outside through the gates into the courtyard. And now you're approaching that tent back there where there was the holy place and then the most holy place where The Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, the manifest presence of God was at. And you're in alignment now to enter into the divine presence of God where your help comes from. David said, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence my help cometh. My help comes from, everybody say it, the Lord who made heaven and earth. You're moving toward him right now. And so... What you do is you offer praise. There are seven Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament to describe praise. There are words like a Hebrew word for clapping your hands, uh, like some of us did a moment ago. There's another Hebrew word for raising your voice and shouting unto the Lord in praise. There's a Hebrew word for dancing. Sometimes you need to get so full of joy your feet can't keep still. Amen. I wish I could hear an amen right now. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And Micah, his wife, looked out the window and hated him. And she became childless because she despised his worship. Don't ever despise worship. It will cut off your productivity. Amen. Amen. It will stop you from being fruitful. And these seven Hebrew words are interesting. One of them, for example, is to bow. And what it means is to bow, not just bow like this, but the Hebrew word means to place your head on the ground. Let me show you why that is significant. I am back and forth, as you know, into Africa with these Bible schools, and they're 50% of the population, and sometimes more of these areas is Muslim. And when you see a devout Muslim, he's got a dark spot right there on his forehead. How many of you have ever seen that on, on a Muslim Uh, And what this dark spot is, is the result of him doing this. I'm going to turn sideways so you can see me. In their prayers, they bow down and they put their head all the way on the floor like this. 
not above the floor, all the way to the floor. And they do that a number of times. And they don't just put their head on the floor, they press it against the floor. Hence the dark spot right there. Now I want you to notice what happens when I do that and I put my head against the floor. Look at the position of my heart. My heart has just been elevated above my head. The problem with some people in their worship is they want to get everything all figured out and they want intellect to rule their relationship with God. You've got to get your heart above your head. Can I hear somebody in the building say that's right? You need to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to love him that way. One of the other words for, uh, for uh, worship is a word that I'll share with you in just a moment, and it's called proskuneo, but that's a different word, and we'll get to that. That's Greek from the New Testament. And so there are thanksgiving prayers. There are prayers that are laudatory. And then number three, there are prayers of contrition. A prayer of contrition is a prayer of repentance. There's not a one of us in this building that doesn't need to every once in a while say, I'm sorry to God. In fact, some of us need to say, I'm sorry to some of our loved ones and friends. But when you learn to say you're sorry to God, it makes it easier to apologize to people that you've wounded. One reason some of us can't apologize when we hurt those we love is we haven't yet learned how to apologize to him. None of us are perfect. I've often said this. Do this right here. Can you do this? Reach up behind you. You feel that right there? That's a shoulder blade. That's not an angel's wing sprouting out of your back. Sometimes these halos we prop up need to be polished because they get tarnished with life. None of us live inside a body that is absolutely free from being subject to temptation. Christ was subject to temptation. Only he was sinless. Every once in a while, you and I are going to have to go to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And if you get in the regular habit of doing that, it makes it easier to apologize to people you've wounded around you. It'll help you have a better marriage. It'll help you have kids who love you. Hello, somebody. It'll help you build lifelong relationships. Prayers of contrition, you find them in the Bible. Psalms 51, the entire chapter is David's prayer after the sin of Bathsheba and Uriah, where David begins to pray, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Over time, his heart had become corrupted. And he had to pray, God, come back in and do heart surgery on me. God, work on my heart again. I don't know about you, but I close every single day the same way. I pray, Lord, forgive me where I failed you. And help me to bring glory and honor to your name. Because everybody messes up. Oh, yeah. You're trying to sit there looking all prim and spiritual right now. But if we could have seen you Friday on your way home from work in rush hour traffic. Hello, somebody. Or when someone cut you off in the line at the grocery store. We'd probably have a little bit more information about who your real identity is. We need to keep it buried in the under the blood. Can I hear someone in the building say, I need the blood? I need the blood every day of my life. I need the blood every moment of my life. I want my life to be hid under the blood. 
our prayers would be much more successful if instead of starting with petition, that what we did is we started with thanksgiving and then we were to laud him for his identity and who he is. And then we were to pray a prayer of repentance. Then it would be so much more beneficial to us when we came to the fourth form of prayer, which is the prayer of petition. Jesus spoke of those. He said, asking you will receive, seeking you will find. God wants us to rely on him. The problem, as I've already mentioned, is that so many of us, when we have a need, we blast right by thanksgiving, right by praise, right by prayers of contrition, and we go straight to, I need this, Lord. I need your help right now. And that's what I mean when I say that some people use God like a fire extinguisher to put out fires. That's not what you should be doing. God wants us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, he does. He wants us to pray that way. But we would be more successful in relying on him and praying prayers like this if we did it in the right order. There are also, number five, prayers of dedication. In Second Chronicles chapter 6 through 7, we read Solomon's prayers, King Solomon's prayers when he dedicated the temple. All of this, he said, belongs to you. I don't know if you've reached that point in your life or not, but have you recognized you don't really own anything? I can see some of you hadn't got there yet. Oh, you don't know, Pastor. I got some stuff going on. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't own anything. If you do, how much of it are you taking with you when you leave here? We're like the two old guys at the city square sitting on the park bench and a hearse goes by followed by a long entourage of cars. And one of them said, who died? And the other one said, the wealthiest man in the county died. And the first one looked back at his friend and said, wow, I wonder how much he left. And the other guy looked at him and said, all of it. No U-Hauls following your hearse when you go into the graveyard. I don't own anything. And one of the most blessed events that ever has happened in my life is when God revealed that little simple truth to me. Because God can ask me to give him anything and I'll give it now. That's not all, but I also don't have to worry about the stress of when things go wrong. I don't own the car. I don't own the house. I don't own anything. It's all God's. I don't own this church. No, sir. If there's a problem, I can go to bed at night, smile at God, look up and say, God, I love you more than I can ever say. Your church has a problem. I'll see you in the morning. Good night. Amen. Because it's not mine. As I've said, I don't have any nail prints in my hands. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But if you honor God, he will let you hold on to stuff. Because he can trust you with it. Amen. We dedicate our kids to God. We dedicate our marriages to God. We dedicate our businesses to God. We dedicate, we should dedicate ourselves and everything about us to God. Then number six, there are prayers of commitment. Now this goes a little bit beyond what I'm talking about when I talk about a prayer of dedication. Because prayers of commitment are, I'm going to do whatever I can to make you smile, Lord. I want to put a smile on your face. I want to bring joy to your heart. If a husband and wife get into this thing when they get married, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do that the law requires me to do as a husband, but that's it. It's going to be it. 
You hear what I'm talking about? Same thing with a woman. Because, listen, if you want to make your wife smile, don't be looking for the absolute bottom line on how little you got to do. And churches oftentimes are built upon what are the minimum requirements that we have to do to please the heart of God. Seriously, give me a printed list of rules. I just got saved. Show me what I can and cannot do. I'm glad that I grew beyond that point. Now it's not about what do I have to do? What do I mustn't, what I must not do? It's not about that. It's now, Lord, what can I do to please you? What can I do to put a smile on your face? Because I want to fill you with joy. I want you to look down on me and say, there is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. God wants to look at you and say, there's my daughter in whom I am well pleased. My beloved daughter. Amen. And so there are prayers of commitment where you're not looking at the bottom line minimum requirements. You're making commitments to God based upon your desire to please him. I could go into that more, but I don't really have the time. And finally, there are prayers of intimacy. Prayers of intimacy. And these kind of prayers are especially powerful because when you go through the first six steps of praise, devotional prayers and so forth from thanksgiving to praise to uh, contrition to petition to dedication to commitment, you will come to prayers of intimacy, which is the deepest level of all. That's when you get back there behind the veil where he's at. And that's where true worship occurs. You might not know this, but worship is different than praise. Praise is what you do to get into his presence. Worship is what you do after you get in his presence. Oh, hallelujah to the lamb. Can somebody give him some worship right now? Not praise, but can somebody give him some worship? Hallelujah. Because when you enter into worship, you're entering into his glory. And when you enter into his glory, anything but anything is possible. God can make things happen that are, that nobody would believe if you tried to tell them. Hallelujah. That's right. And the word for worship in the Hebrew is Shabbat. And that, that means to bow down as I showed you earlier. It literally means to elevate your heart above your head. There is that point where you get swept up in your emotion to God. If you've never had that experience, you don't know what you're missing in your relationship with the Lord because he wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But more importantly, listen, the seventh word, Hebrew word for worship is actually tehillah. Tehillah. Do you know what that word means? It means to sing. You say, well, it's me singing to God. No, it isn't. It's God singing to you. In the Song of Solomon, the bridegroom sang to his bride. God wants to sing to you. I'm not talking about Mark Anthony either. I'm talking about Jehovah Jireh wants to sing to you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, I feel the anointing of God in this house right now. 
Because when you enter into the, the, the worship of God, then God begins to sing. There are several places in scripture where it said God sang to Israel. When God sings to you, his voice changes your environment. It changes your situation. It changes your circumstance. I'm talking about how to, in prayer, change your situation. When God begins to sing, angels begin to fly through the atmosphere and things begin to happen that will not happen at any other time. It happens in worship. The Greek word for worship is an extraordinarily interesting one. It is proskuneo. In St. John 4, where Jesus said the Father is seeking true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Greek word there, proskuneo, if you look it up in Strong's Concordance, it means to lick the hand. Now that sounds strange. What do you mean, lick the hand? But I have a question. How many of you have a little dog at home? Can I see your hand? Amen. How many of you have, let me, come on, raise it up high. How many of you have a dog? How many of you have a dog you keep in your house? Number of you do. My wife won't let us have one in our house. Amen. <laughs> My daughter has a bunch of them. She made up for it. Amen. But at any rate, have you ever been gone maybe for a day or two and then you came home and whenever the dog heard the key in the lock, it came running. My grandmother, we often had my auntie's little chihuahua and they had these nails and my grandmom had hardwood floors. And that little old chihuahua, it had a voice like a bulldog. I mean, it was. And whenever we drove up in the yard and got to the front door, if we had been gone, here come that little dog. It would come scratching the floor with its nails and it'd get on those hardwood floors and it had to negotiate a turn and it would slide into the curve like a car at the Indy 500, you know, and, and it would seal coming just and it'd catch traction again. And it'd run to the door and we'd open the door and reach down a hand. It l- jumped up licking our hand. So glad to see us. That's what worship is. It means to lick the hand of God, not in a literal sense. It means I'm so glad to see you. Lord, I'm so glad you've come. I'm so glad you're here. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Isaiah 6 and 1. This is what we read in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's worship because everything else gets shut out. It's worship. And in addition to the seven devotional prayers, there are also seven types of strategic prayers. I'm going to have to talk about that next week. Devotional prayers are the prayers you pray that draw you close to God, that cause you to have relationship with him. And out of that, you're going to see situations change. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about strategic prayers. There are five in number. You see, seven is the number of completion. Five in the Bible is the number of grace. 
whenever your devotional life is complete, you move into a dimension of grace that causes the kingdom of heaven to be released. Because seven and five are 12. You know what the number 12 stands for in the Bible? The government of God. When you have a devotional relationship with God, you move into grace that releases the government of God in your life. It changes everything. Can somebody in this building give him praise right now? I'm talking to somebody that's going through things that are clearly not the government of God, are they? You've got hell going on in your life. You got all kind of mess up going on stuff. Did you, did you ever hear this? Don't you get tired of it? Tired of the, the trouble, tired of the junk, tired of the enemy, tired of getting up every morning with a problem and going to bed and the problem's bigger than it was in the morning. You can change all of that because you know what the number five also represents? It represents the gift of God. When your devotional life becomes complete and you move into the grace of God, you begin to walk in God's giftings in your life. You open up the reservoirs of heaven over you. The resources of heaven are released. Are you tired of dealing with not enough? Are you tired of being struck out every time you come up to bed? Are you tired? Of limited resources are you tired of the constant war in your life move into that dimension where the grace of God is oh there's still trouble <laughs> only it doesn't affect you the same way it used to amen I see you out there devil <laughs> but you're not bothering me hey <laughs> hallelujah you better go find somebody you can affect because you're not affecting me. I'm in the presence of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. Yes. Yes. You don't have to live in a constant state of trouble and disturbance and anguish and chaos all the time look at your neighbor and say you're tired of the chaos yet you're tired of the chaos yet <laughs> my son in ministry here Luis pastors in our community he knows what I'm talking about people live in a constant state of stress and chaos I need somebody to stand to their feet right now and say I'm stepping into a dimension of grace would you do that Say it. I'm stepping into a new dimension of grace. That's prophetic for somebody in the house. That's prophetic for somebody in the house. I'm stepping into a new dimension of grace. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Mm. Chains are going to be broken in this house today. Chains are going to be broken. You see... When you look at the Bible, you will find that many times that what happened is people brought their needs to the Lord, but before they brought their needs to God, do you know what they did? They came worshiping. Matthew 8, 2, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now he's got an obvious need. He's a leper, but he didn't come in and say, help, I'm a leper. He came in and worshiped worshiped as a result he got healed of his leprosy 
Watch this now. And again, we read in the scripture, Matthew 9, 18, while Jesus was talking, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him saying, my daughter has just died. (laughs) Boy, there's not a greater need in the world than that. Your daughter just died. But instead of coming to say, my daughter just died, what was the first thing he did? He came and he worshiped. And then he said, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Even the demonic of Gadara, a man with four to 6,000 demons, because the number for a legion could vary from 4,000 to 6,000. Naked, crusted with grime, filth, infested with lice, hair matted. Can you see this guy? Cut himself with stones, crusted blood, broken fetters of chains dangling from his hands and his ankles. Can you see this? He's trying to set himself free by sheer brute demonic strength. You can break all the chains you want, but he's got, notice he's still got fetters on his hands and legs. In other words, you can't get free by yourself. But suddenly the bow of a boat crunches up against the shore of Gadara. And on it are 12 disciples and Jesus. And the demoniac looks up. Here is a man more accustomed to living with the dead than the living. More comfortable with the dead than those who are alive. Have you ever met anybody who didn't want to live anymore? It's because of the oppression of the enemy. This man was oppressed, but he looked up and saw Jesus and he came running and the Bible said he fell and worshiped him. Why am I telling you this? Because I don't care what it is you're dealing with today, what your situation is. If you will worship him, he will break chains in your life for good. He will set you free. You will walk out of here in your right mind. You will leave this place today with joy instead of sorrow. Now just very quickly, I want to share with you how we'll close the service. And if you're visiting with us, I want to say again, we're so glad that you're here. Please, at the end of the service, when you leave, go out the doors to the left, right back there where I'm pointing. There's a conference room. I really look forward to meeting you. Prayer counselors, if you'll come right now. And then one other word. Again, if you don't know the protocols here, you might wonder what we're about to do. We close services a little bit different here than they do in many churches. What we do is we ask everybody to come forward. And I like to pray a father's blessing, a favor upon people before they leave. And so we're going to ask everyone to come. Please, we'd love to have our guests come as well. We have miracles happen in this altar. Lives are genuinely transformed and changed here. And we'd love for you to come and we're just going to pray together. Nobody's going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. I promise you. We just want you to come and be in the presence of God for a moment before we go home. Amen. I need somebody to say he's going to answer me speedily. Would you do that? Come on, say it again. He's going to answer me speedily. 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 Because Jesus tells this story, and as I begin today by saying, many believers think that he's comparing himself to the unjust judge. He isn't. He's contrasting himself to the unjust judge. He's not 
saying this is how God is, he's saying this is how God isn't. If an unjust judge can be persuaded to act, how much more will a loving heavenly father act? So sometimes you just got to keep on knocking. Look at your neighbor and tell them you got to keep on knocking. Would you do that? Tell them again, you got to keep on knocking. That unjust judge said, if I don't answer her today, she's going to be back tomorrow. And she's going to be back Tuesday. And what you got to do is you got to tell God, I'm here for my answer, Lord. And I'll be back tomorrow and I'll be back the next day. But I'm believing that you're going to answer me speedily. Shout it out, speedily. Look at someone near you and say, your answer is coming speedily. Would you do that? That's a word for somebody. My God have mercy. Woo! <laughs> Somebody's getting their need met today. Now look, you've tried to break those chains and fetters by yourself, and you've had a measure, a modicum of success. But you keep going back and dealing with the same stuff. Why don't you do instead what the man did at Gadara? Come worship him and let him fix it for good. For good. Would you lift up your hands? And I want you to say this today. Something is happening in my life. That's going to change things for good. I will never be the same after this service today. Never will. Never will. If I don't get it today, I'm coming back tomorrow. If I don't get it on Monday, I'm going to be praying on Tuesday. If I don't get it on Tuesday, I'm going to be praying Wednesday. Because I know it's going to be coming on Thursday. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah.